0: And welcome back to another episode of Coloc. This is your host, Rabbi Hillel Kapenstein, director of the Columbus Community Colel. And it's a great honor and privilege to welcome all of you back to our next episode featuring Rabbi Benjamin Babad of Relief. Um, Relief is an incredible organization and we're going to learn about what they do. You may recall when we talked with Dr. Lewin Fahn a few episodes ago when we talked about uh, treating mental health like physical health. And in the world of physical health, we have referrals. People uh, get to hear uh, which doctor they should see for which specific issue they're dealing with. Well, what about the mental health world? And we're going to hear about that this evening. To sponsor a colot episode, please email me at sponsorcolote at gmail.com. Again, that is sponsorcolote at gmail.com. And without any further ado, Allow me to tell you about our guest. Rabbi Binyamin Babad serves as the director of Relief Resources and since joining in 2002 has grown the organization to an international multi-service agency with 11 offices globally, specializing in connecting each individual with the mental health professional or service best suited for their needs. Relief Resources is today one of the most prominent mental health organizations in the Jewish community. Rabbi Babad, thank you so much for joining Kolot.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So I want to know if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background. Um, I know you're a rabbi, but uh, you're not a practicing rabbi, right? So tell us a little Correct. bit about your background and how you got into the role that you're in today. Okay.
1: Um, so I got here in a very, very interesting way. I uh, used to run um, PCS for uh, for the Aguda. If you're familiar with PCS, PCS sure. is the organization that helps people find find jobs. Um and one of our contacts um, in finding jobs for people, we would we would be in contact a lot with uh, with accountants because accountants know when their clients need to hire people. And one of the contacts that we had was a very special person by the name of uh, Sandy Orenstein. Sandy Ornstein is an accountant by trade. And um, I knew Sandy well when I was working for the Agoda and I must have placed well over a dozen people through him. Um, and at some point I, I had left the Agoda and Sandy had contacted me a little bit afterwards. Tell me about this idea that he had to start an organization um, to help people with mental health needs. Sandy had also been involved in setting up um, a medical referral organization, as you mentioned before. You know, people people know when it comes to areas of medicine that they need to, they need a referral to figure out who the best doctor to go to. And Sandy was very involved in that. But Sandy realized that if you need a referral to find out who the best cardiologist is, where you might ask your brother-in-law for some information about a cardiologist, how much more so do you need a Referral agency for mental health where you don't necessarily want to speak to your brother in law about, about who would be a good psychiatrist or who would be a good therapist. So, um, so he had this idea to start relief and he, and he asked me to join. Um, I was the first employee, so this is going back a good 20 years. Um, and uh, it has grown quite a bit since then.
0: So, tell us a little bit about the philosophy of relief. What is the general goal? I mean, um, I know you're trying to pair people with mental health professionals, but you people are, I mean, are, is everyone who's working for relief, a, you know, a, profe- a mental health professional themselves. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you, you know, do your research um, and how you connect people with the right types of therapists and doctors.
1: So it's interesting. Um, actually, nobody that works for relief is a mental health professional and that's by design. Um, believe it or not, it actually gets in the way of what we're trying to do here. Our job is not to fix the problem. Um, a mental health professional is hardwired basically to, to you know fix the problem. Um, our job is to help identify the problem and then without being biased and without being in the way, figuring out who the best person out there um, is to make a proper evaluation and come up with a treatment plan. Um, but as you say, we do have to be quite knowledgeable. Um, so first, I'll just explain a little, bit, a little bit about the background in terms of why relief exists. So, why do we do what we do? It's 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 really quite simple. Anybody who's been through trying to find a mental health professional really understands this. If you're looking for a mental health professional, for somebody that you know and somebody that you care about, how are you going to find one? Um, first, you need somebody who is really good at what they do. Um, there are many, many, many good clinicians out there. There are also many, many not so good clinicians out there. And knowing the difference between who 's good and who 's not good is not obvious at all. Um, you know I always joke around that you know if you somebody's looking for a cardiac surgeon, all you have to do is look at the people he worked on if they 're walking around smiling then he 's a good surgeon. If they are you know living on the wrong side of the grass, then he 's a bad surgeon right in mental health it's much more nuanced it 's very very difficult to um to really figure that out on your own. so number one, like I said, you need somebody who 's good number two, you need somebody who is trained and has the experience in what you are dealing with. Mental health is similar to medicine in that, just like there are specialties and subspecialties in medicine, the same is true with mental health, and a lot of people don't realize that. They think that there's no difference between one psychiatrist and another psychiatrist, there's no difference between one therapist and another therapist, and really nothing could be further from the truth. Um, so you need somebody who has the training and has the background has the experience to deal with what you're dealing with as opposed to all the other things out there. So. For example, if somebody that you know is dealing with OCD and you're sending them to somebody who you know is, is an expert in eating disorders, you're, you're at the wrong address. Okay. Um, and again, knowing who's trained in what is not so simple for, for most people. Um, and then finally, unlike medicine, where it really doesn't matter if you like your doctor. I mean, it's nice to like your doctor, but it's not critically important. So again, if the world's best cardiologist is nuts, who cares? Right? He's the best cardiologist. Um, but in mental health, it's very, very important to like your psychiatrist and even more important to like your therapist if you're not gonna if you're not gonna click with your therapist, it's not gonna work so whether it's gender age from kite level background general style personal personal you know traits um personality traits the, all these things play a very very important role so again, when you put all this together uh, for the average person that's out there that's just a regular person that's not necessarily into the, to the mental health world. How do you find somebody? Um, and so that's that's basically why relief exists and what we why we do what we do. And I think probably why we've become so popular um, because really when people are looking for something like this, it's very, very hard to find.
0: Okay, so I want to dive deep on something you mentioned, uh, two parts, that um, mental health is so broad, so sophisticated. Someone could uh, specialize in one area and not specialize in a- another area. Then you also mentioned that um, some are just better than others um how do you discern how do you know a um who, where someone's specialty is i mean if they're not advertising on their you know on their site or their practice or whatever it is but they specialize in how do you discern and and b um how do you know when someone's good or not good i mean are you getting testimonials from their patients walk us through that process
1: sure so when relief adds a clinician to our database so it's a, it's quite a long process um first, we had to hear about them from some source, and generally that source is either another colleague, another you know clinician that told us about this person, um or very often from a client. Um, one of the reasons relief works and works well is because we're dealing in very, very high volume. Um, we are speaking to over three thousand people a month, okay there's about thirteen hundred new cases that we deal with every month, and then on top of that, another you know seventeen hundred people that we dealt with in the past. Um, So when you speak to that many people, you gather and everything gets gathered and put into the computer. So you're gathering a lot of information. And for example, one of the things we do is um, one of the important things we do, which one of the reasons that really, you know, how this works is that not only do we make referrals, but we follow up with people afterwards to find out how they're doing. Now, that of course gives us the data that we need, you know, to be able to help the next person. But it also gives us a lot of sometimes new information because not everybody listens to us, right? um and sometimes we'll call somebody and we'll find them and we'll call them up and say hi you know we're just following up with you we spoke a few weeks ago we gave you this recommendation we just want to know if you got in touch with this person if you went there and they said no i didn't go there i went to somebody else instead we said great who'd you go to how was your experience um and sometimes we find you know new people that way so either again like i said either they'll be they'll come to us from a from a colleague or they'll come to us from a client um and then we get in touch with them and we you know set up an interview, basically, um, where we'll go through with them what their training is, what's their experience, what's their interest. You know, again, somebody could have a very, very specific area that they work with and some therapists and some, you know, some psychiatrists, psychiatrists more, can be more general. Um, but even therapists sometimes can have multiple things that they, that they you know, work with. But then we ask them, but what do you really like? What do you really, what are you looking for? What do you like to do? Um, and that kind of like being able to, to, Focus in on those areas are usually going to be the areas that they're that they're really going to excel in. Um, but then how do we know who's better than others? So that's back to back to the, the feedback. Um, again, when you're speaking to so many people, you're not getting two or three reports on a clinician. Over time, you can get 30, 40, 50, 100 reports on a clinician. And by looking at that, you're, you're really looking for patterns. Um, so it's not just, is this guy good or not good, which, of course, is important. But you can also sometimes dig down into that data and figure out not only you know, is he good or not good, but you know, who's he good for? So for example, there was a therapist that we dealt with that um, worked with OCD. And we found that there were two groups. There was one group that did very well with him and one group that didn't do well with him. And we were able to figure out what was that common denominator of the people who did well versus the people who didn't do well. And in that case, for example, the issue was that he was not a motivator. Okay. So if the client came in motivated that they wanted to help themselves, he was a very good therapist. If they needed somebody to give them that extra push, that wasn't for him. Okay. So bang, so yes, he's a very good therapist, but you know, this little knee that it needs to be somebody that's self-motivated was making all the difference in the world. So so we're able to, over time, I and mean, it takes time to do this because again, you have to have a lot of data to look at, but over time you can you can see a you know if the if the clinician is effective or not, and then B, you know, really figure out what they're really best at.
0: So, how many how many phone calls would you say that you're getting daily?
1: So, phone calls are, I mean, just this office alone, which is New York, New Jersey, is about 350 phone calls a day. A day, a day, right? But that, again, not all new cases. Obviously, those are those are there are multiple calls that happen with a case. I mean, for example, I mean, there could be a case where you're dealing with the husband, you're dealing with the wife, you're dealing with you can be dealing with a rov. You can be, you know, speaking to multiple people in in you know in one particular case. Mm-hmm. So there could be many calls you know, in one day. But our basic numbers are: we're about sixty-five to seventy new cases a day. Mm-hmm. Um, we deal with about two hundred twenty-five, two hundred fifty cases a day. So that's new and old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but again, but two hundred fifty cases could also be three hundred. I mean, it's more than three hundred phone calls because, again, you can be dealing with the principal, you can deal with the robe, et cetera, et cetera.
0: So that's just the New York, New Jersey office?
1: That's just New York, New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Those The, the 350 phone calls are just New York, New Jersey because those are numbers that I see. Um, I don't know the the numbers of calls throughout the organization, but the other numbers, let's say, for example, 1,300 new cases a month, that's throughout the organization. The 3,000 people a month, that's throughout the organization. Um, But it's it's pretty hefty. The numbers of calls are pretty hefty.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty uh, – sounds intense. Uh, can you tell us uh, maybe are there other statistics you think the public should be aware of?
1: Um, so there are a couple of interesting statistics I think that we found along the way. Um, one is that the, um, the issues, let's say, between men and women have consistently been basically 50-50. Um, it's not that one group has more problems than the other, although – with children, it's sixty forty male versus female, mm-hmm. right? because ADHD and and let's say for example um, ASD, autistic spectrum disorders are more are found more in in boys than in girls. Um, in geriatrics, it's sixty forty female. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe because men get better with age. <laughs> well, probably because the women outlive us. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but in in the you know, and when you talk about adults, it's basically 50/50. You know, even split, 49/51, and it's been that way for about the last 20 years. Um, so that's an interesting thing. Um, other statistics. I don't know, you ask me questions. I'll 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 let you know what uh what you find interesting.
0: Okay. So what are some of the most common? I mean, you mentioned OCD a couple times, but what are some other uh common uh, mental health um disorders, issues, whatever that people call in about, and and tell us a little bit about the process and how you help them.
1: Okay. So first, you know. People are calling about a very, very wide range of issues. Um, in fact, the issues that we deal with, you know, cover so many things that really everybody's dealing with something, mm-hmm. whether in your immediate family or your extended family. And if not, you're just not paying attention. Um, you know, we deal with child behavioral issues. We deal with anxiety. We deal with and bias issues, anything basically you're going to be you know, using a therapist for. Um, and certainly a psychiatrist for, is, is you know, in our ballywick. Um So there are a, a tremendous amount of things. ADHD, which is, you know, so prevalent. Um, so there are really a lot, a lot of things that, that are, are coming up. Um, trauma, unfortunately, is something that we see quite a bit of. Um, then there are the biological issues, let's say, for example, bipolar disorder, right, which is not as common, but still we get a pretty significant number of, of bipolar cases. Um, so it's a, it's a really wide wide number of things um it's a wide range of things um like i said almost everybody has something going on so uh that's that's also i think why we're getting so many phone calls
0: yeah i, I mean the statistic that gets thrown around a lot um and dr fan mentioned this i referenced him earlier um one out of every you know one of every every five are you know struggling with a mental health issue but it's five out of five really because it's either your coworker, or your sibling or your relative or your you know whatever you know
1: Your uncle or your brother-in-law, you know. Again, everybody, everybody has some somebody that they know, that that it you know is touching them, you know, and and it's making a difference in their lives.
0: So, Uh, tell us a little bit about how someone should be supportive when someone else. I know they shouldn't try to be uh, a therapist; they shouldn't be someone who they're not. Um, How can someone be helpful? Whether it's a immediate family member, a friend, employee, how do they be helpful?
1: So, I think the best the best thing that somebody can do is really just to encourage person that you're, that you're, that you're dealing with to get good help and to stay, you know, in, in treatment. Um, good help really makes a tremendous difference. I mean, we've seen such unbelievable success stories, um, where, where people were really struggling and because they got the right help, uh, we really able to turn their lives around I and mean, we see this on a daily basis. Um, cause if we didn't, we wouldn't be able to keep this up. Mm-hmm. Um, so so knowing that that's the case and knowing that there's really good help out there um is you know makes all the difference in the world. So if you're dealing with somebody that that is hesitant and is is resisting getting help, whatever you could do to encourage that person to get help to realize that that they can be helped um I think is a is a very important thing. I think that's the most important thing that can be done.
0: You mentioned success stories. Can you share with us any?
1: So, there are so many um
0: your favorite your pet okay people.
1: let's see. So there's one, there's one story that sticks out in my head. Um, there was a gentleman that we were dealing with, a Rebbe, um, who can who really developed a very, very, very significant depression, um, really knocked him out um, in a very, very big way. Um, and it was a little unusual because um, generally these things happen in, in younger ages. Uh, he was a little bit older. He was about 40, which is um, usually the cutoff, you know, um, for, for major issues like this. Um, and, you know, here he was terribly depressed. He was not able to go to work. He had a daughter in seminary, and as well, who's about to come home, start Shaduchim. His kids were saying, you know, why isn't Tati going to work? What's what's going on? Why isn't he going to shul? Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole family was, was really just terribly affected. And of course there was no pranasa because he wasn't working. Um, we had sent him to a very, very good psychiatrist, um, but it didn't work. And so we ended up sending him, based on what the psychiatrist, you know, recommended, we ended up sending him something called ECT, which is um, electroconvulsive therapy, also known as shock therapy, which is pretty, you know, not radical, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's certainly out there, but it's, um, it's a, not a first-line treatment, um, but it works very, very well. And for this person, it really, it saved his life. Um, and I look at this story and I say, you know, who did we help here? We didn't just help the individual, we helped the whole family. Right to the point that whenever they made a chassana, his wife would send an invitation and write an invitation. You know, this this wedding is is in your mm-hmm. Um, You know, so these these type of things are are you know really really significant. In it. And well, Hashem, we see a lot of stories like this. And then, and the, you know sometimes they're major, sometimes they're more simple. You know, I had a very nice call a few weeks ago. Um, a woman called me up. She said I called you three months ago about my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law was engaged. And she was extraordinarily anxious and she was gonna break the engagement. And we knew that, you know, the boy was a wonderful boy and the shidduch was a great shidduch. And it's just because she was just very anxious. She was always anxious, you know, and and you know, she was about to make a really a big change in her life, a big, big decision in her life, which would, you know, be a big problem. Um, and you sent us to a therapist and she said, I'm just calling you now to let you know we're on the way to the chuppah. She's a happy, excited Kawa. You know. Yeah. So that's like that's an easy story, a simple story, but at the same time. You know that that really made a difference, it makes a difference in somebody's life, so you know in Bakhashan we have so many stories like that. There was a story recently i I went to a bar mitzvah um and I remember that that this couple um in the Shana Rishana was uh was really on the brink of divorce um the woman had a very significant o c d and she had never taken care of it and I remember her husband put her on the phone, and I remember you know telling her I'm going to send you to a psychiatrist I'm going to send you a therapist. You're going to do the work and you will get better. Um, and, you know, she went and she got really, she she did great. She did, you know, incredibly well. Um, so we have a lot of, a lot of these stories that keep us going.
0: You you talked about a girl that's on her way to chuppah and is excited. So it sounds like they didn't just survive, and, you know, in the fate of anxiety. It sounds like they thrived. You see that a lot of people have a struggle, they get better and then they're even better off after effect.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We see it. We see it all the time. And it, and again, you know, when I came to relief, again, this is 20 years ago before it was in every magazine, you know, that you pick up, you find a mental health story. This was 20 years ago. Nobody spoke about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anything about mental health. I, I didn't. I mean, to be quite honest with you, I didn't even know what OCD stood for <laughs> when I started with relief. Uh-huh. Um, I did a lot of a lot of reading at the beginning. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of organizations that started because somebody had a specific problem and they, you know, they came to, came to it as, you know, very passionate. So I can't say that about myself. When I, Like I said, when I came to Relief, I didn't know anything, but I've become very, very passionate because I see what kind of impact this has on people's lives.
0: Wow. And not just on their lives, but so many right. other people's lives.
1: Right. right. the um, lives, their live family. And even, I would tell you, even generations, because- Children are very affected you know by their parents' issues and if their parents take care of the you know what's going on with them then it, it helps the whole family
0: yeah so tell us you know you were in the field twenty years ago uh, when you entered the field I mean uh, approximately um, and the field has changed a lot um, probably you can make the argument that mental health field has changed more than any other health. Uh, fields of health because there's so many things um evolving and there it's not concrete. Like when there you know when someone has heart disease it, it comes up on a on a test, you know. Um when it comes to mental health it's a little harder uh to pinpoint. Can you tell us a little bit of you know what has evolved in the last 20 years, some of the things that the public has become more aware of and where you know the public is doing well and some areas that the public could you know do a little better in?
1: So I think the biggest change I think over the last 20 years is, is, you know, the the awareness and the openness that we have in terms of speaking about these issues and really taking care of these issues. Um, I definitely. We've definitely seen, I think everybody can can see that there's been a tremendous shift um, in how we, we look at these issues, how do we look at these problems and, you know, doing something about it. So that I think is a, is a very, very positive change um, in the field. The field itself, you know, I think, you know, there have always, of course, there 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 are um, new medications that have come out. There are um, new modalities um, that have become popular. So there are definitely changes in that way as well. But I think I think the biggest change is really in the attitude, and uh, and people realizing that if there's a problem, let's take care of it. Let's not let's not push it under the rug. Let's uh, let's go out and reach and get get the right help.
0: And what made that change happen? You know, we're we're pretty. Uh... You know we're ansharif right we're not we don't do well when it comes to change what made that change happen
1: so that's a really good question and I, you know it's not something that we can take credit for maybe just a little bit of credit um, but I think that once people got this message that there was help out there um, and and you could do well I think that did make a difference you know I always say that mental health had a really bad reputation for a long time because it wasn't working for people and I think it wasn't working for people because, again, as I mentioned earlier, if you're doing this on your own, you know, the odds are against you of finding the right help. So, you know, all these people who are not getting the right help and not, not seeing any progress, that, you know, creates a really bad rap for, for the whole industry. I think, you know, once this and, – and all we did was just put a system into place where there was no system. Once there's a way to get to the right help and, and really see changes, I think that just – you know the word gets out you know it's interesting we ha- as an organization, we haven't really advertised much in the last fifteen years, yet we continue to grow at a pretty significant pace. so somebody's talking to somebody, right mm-hmm. the word is getting out there um, so it's uh, I think that's Yeah, you know, that's that's a big thing
0: Wow, um you mentioned earlier about the daily phone calls. What are some of the questions uh that people are asking when they call in?
1: Oh, no, that's a big one. Um, because the the questions can be can range really from from the most simple to the most complicated. Um, let's hear them all. Yeah. So people are calling us. Um, generally one of two situations: either first time presenting symptoms, or they've had some level of care but it isn't working. Um, so you know, the, the, I, I'll tell you a little bit. I'll walk you through the process a little bit. So we ask a lot, a lot of questions. Um, not because we're nosy. Um, but because the more information we have, the better picture that we have, the better referral that we're going to be able to make. Um, you know, referral, the referral process is kind of like a computer program. You know, they say garbage in, garbage out. If you put in bad code, you're going to get bad, a uh, bad program. So the same thing here, if you give us bad information, you're not going to get a good referral. Um, and sometimes it's interesting, you know, sometimes people don't even know what's important mm-hmm. to, to tell us. I mean, again, if this is their first time dealing with a mental health issue, they may not realize what are the important points. And it's our job to try to, you know, to get that out of them and to, to understand what, what's going on. Um, so we'll ask them a lot of questions. We'll ask them about the history. We'll ask them about family history. We'll ask them if something was going on for for quite a while, what changed now that you're, that you're making the call? Um, and all these things give us little hints. We're, we're almost like detectives, you know, in trying to figure out. Because, you know, as you said before, there are, no, there, there are no X-rays, there are no blood tests, there are no MRIs, you know, when it comes to mental health. It's really understanding the symptoms that are being described to you um, and then making making recommendations based on that. Um, so that's when somebody's calling for a first time presenting symptoms. But then again, like I said before, there are quite a people, quite a number of people who call that they've had some level of care and it isn't helping. And the question is, why isn't it helping? So we'll ask them, okay, so who have you seen? Now, again, because we have thousands and thousands of clinicians in our database and we've interviewed over 4,000, we know most people out there and most people that people are using um, and that will give us a sense of, you know, what level of care they've had. So if they tell us, well, I saw this person and this person and this person and nothing helped me, but all three people that they mentioned are really low-level clinicians, then we understand why nothing helped because you need a higher level clinician. On the other hand, if they come back to us and they say, well, no, I saw so-and-so and so-and-so and they're very, very good clinicians. Now, we know, that we have to really shoot high, okay, and figure figure out, okay, why didn't it work with the people that you saw because they're very, very good. Um and, you know, figure out from there what, what the issue is.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. And what are some of, the, some of the, the common questions that they ask you? I know what you said. You ask them a lot of questions, but what are the questions that you guys get?
1: Um, so a lot of times they'll ask us questions that really they should be asking the clinician, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very careful. We don't, we, we're very careful in our role. We don't play doctor, okay? As I mentioned before, we're not mental health professionals. We don't diagnose people. Okay. Although we may diagnose them in our heads, but we're not going to tell them you have OCD. That's not our job. Um, so they'll ask us these type of questions, and we'll say, "No, that we're going to leave to the to the professional." Um, you know, those those are the type of things that we we you know are very careful to know where our, our boundaries are.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Um, OCD. So let's dive deep on that one. Um, we're trying. We'll try not to obsess on that. But is the um... Is, is is the notion that, you know, people who keep halakha, um, Torah-observant Jews, are more uh, likely to have OCD? Is that true? Is that a myth? Uh, tell us a little yeah. bit about that.
1: Yeah, that's not true at all. Um, in fact, you know, let's say, what's the difference between a perfectionist and somebody with OCD? Okay. So a perfectionist is somebody that, you know, wants, wants things to be perfect. But at some point, they will say... Um, you know it's good, it's great, right? I know somebody who she's she's a super neat freak. Okay, she cleans like crazy. Um, now she'll clean her house, but you know when she's finished, she'll look back and say, "Ah, it's beautiful." Okay, she's a perfectionist. Somebody with OCD is never happy. Never, mm-hmm. it's never enough. It's never clean enough. Never good enough. So the same thing will come to halacha. I was never, I never said shema with enough kavana. I, I maybe you know this milk touched this meat, or you know all these questions that that you know that will come up. So. It's not that halacha causes the anxiety. It's just that somebody with OCD or or anxiety for that matter just has something to be anxious about. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Um, it comes out in this area. It comes
1: out in this area exactly. And we tell people all the time that that you know the mitzvah. First of all, the Torah wasn't given to malacha Asharis, right? We're supposed mm-hmm. to be human beings. Um, but also, Yiddishkeit does not bring you to to you know to anxiety to sadness. Yiddishkeit brings you to happiness so mm-hmm. if if what you're doing is bringing you to to you know a bad feeling, something's wrong, okay that's not supposed to be that way mm-hmm. um, so so and again, you know even even um, not firm clinicians who are really good at o c d can treat o c d in a firm person because you know those those lines of where where the differences between from kite and OCD is very clear even to somebody who isn't who isn't from I mean obviously they'd have to be a little bit knowledgeable. And how we do things. Um, but those lines are clear in terms of where where halacha ends and where OCD begins. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so you're mentioning, uh, in, you know, all this halacha, right, you know, as we're going to be cleaning for Pesach, I'm not sure when we're going to be dropping this episode, but maybe a little before, maybe a little after, maybe during. Um, what are some of the messages that um, people need to hear? I know you mentioned about simcha it should be uh, enjoyable, but people with OCD that's coming out in halacha, um, Tell us a little bit about what they need to do to realize that it's not halacha; It's their anxiety disorder.
1: So again, exactly like I said before, if it's, if, if it's bringing you to this bad feeling and, and it's making you anxious and, and making you tense, um you need to know that that's not the way things are supposed to be. And that should be, you know, their big red flag to, to really get help. Um, You know, people often ask also, you know, I'll get into this also because this is a very common question is, you know, when is the time to get help? Like, how do you know that, okay, I really have to do something about this. I have to see a professional. Um, And the answer we give people, it's very simple, especially when it comes to to something like anxiety because it's it's pretty clear. Um, When it affects your daily functioning, then it's really time to get help. So let's say, for example, a person has a fear of flying, right? But you don't have to fly anywhere. So you can get away with it, right? Mm-hmm. But if your brothers make a chassan in Los Angeles and you can't get on a plane to go to that hasan so now you have a problem, right? Now you have to take care of it. So again, so if that anxiety is getting in the way of your work, you're not able to you know, to give that speech or give give that presentation, you're not able to dive for the umbed when you're in oval, you're not able to, you know, do you know the things that you need to do. Um so that's that's when it's time to to really get help and the same thing I guess is you know when it comes to Pesach or any, anything like that if if it's really affecting your functioning then it's time to say okay I need help
0: mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, another word besides uh, you mentioned another word besides OCD and that's trauma it's become some sort of like a buzzword you know the You know, you hear this a lot, like, oh, my gosh, this guy pushed the button. Now my traumas are coming back. You know, has the word trauma become some sort of like, you know, weakened and it's like kind of become light with all of this? So
1: I probably have to be careful what I say here when it comes to this kind of stuff, because there there are certain things that become like super popular and maybe too popular. Right. So trauma might be one of them. ADHD might be one of them Mm -hmm. um, where we're kind of we might be over diagnosing. Okay, addictions. Addictions also. Again, even though addictions is a much much bigger problem now than it was when we first started twenty years ago, there's no question. But but there are certain terms that are thrown out very very easily, um, and you know we really have to know what we're talking about before before we throw out those terms. Um, so ADHD, you know, let's take that for a second. That might be you know real and it might be as prevalent as as you know we are seeing. Um, it also might be there's a there's been a shift in how the, you know, the um, educational system works. Whereas in the old days, when I was a kid, um, you could get away with a lot more. Um, Today, you know, you can't color out of the lines anymore. You know, you color out of the lines if you're on medication. Um, So, so that, you know, might be a little bit of an issue. Um, And again, I'm not here to argue of whether we should be doing it or shouldn't be doing it. You know, there are, there are equations, you know, and I speak to parents about this a lot that, you know, maybe your child doesn't need ADHD medication, maybe he's just a libidic angle, right? But on the other hand, if this is what the school is is requiring and he's not going to do well in school, and then that creates all kinds of other problems going forward, so that's kind of a decision, you know, you need to think about. Um, addictions, again, a lot of things are being called addictions when it's not, not addiction. Um, it may be, you know, I had a situation, for example, where a family came to me about sending their son away to a rehab facility. Um, and we have a rule when it comes to this that we don't recommend rehab facilities until there's a professional that says that's what they need. Mm-hmm. Because we find so often that people jump to that before they've gone through any of the proper steps. Um, and in this case, I remember when their parents came, it was going to cost $50,000, and they didn't have $50,000. So they were going to raise $50,000 to send their son away to, to rehab. Um, and I said, okay, first I have to speak to professional that's that's working with your son um and he told me he says he's not he's not a drug addict he's not even an abuser he's a user now i'm not telling you it's a good idea to use drugs right but he doesn't need rehab right the parents need a break which i get but fifty thousand dollars to raise fifty thousand dollars to get yourself a break is not the right way to go um so again addictions are something that's also it's thrown out you know too easily and again we really strongly strongly encourage people to work with a professional who is experienced and has the training to make these types of types of decisions. And then trauma is also, you know, becoming that where where everybody's talking about their trauma. So there's big T trauma and there's little t trauma. Okay. Um, now, little t trauma could also be trauma. I'm not saying that. Um, but sometimes people are using it, you know, as a little bit of an excuse, a little bit of a crotch. Again, far, far be it for me to say I'm not a professional and I don't make these judgment calls. Um, But there, there could be a sense that we may be overdoing it a little bit and maybe we're just a little bit too sensitive and maybe we just have to, you know, um, you know, strengthen ourselves up a little bit. But on the other hand, you know, when we're dealing with serious trauma and we've definitely had many, many, many cases of really serious trauma that of course has to be dealt with. And I wouldn't want to minimize that in any way.
0: So now you brought up addiction that was not on my list, but you know what, let's go off script for a minute. Um, Mm -hmm. Addiction is a big deal. It really is. I know Rabbi Dr. Abraham Twersky's Zacharno of was very big on that. And, uh, anyone who hasn't read his books should go do so. It's he has some great books that, uh, many great books. He even jokes, he's addicted. He was addicted to writing. Um,
1: I, I used to joke with him that he's written more books than I've read.
0: Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's been a lot of talk, um, especially in the Orthodox community, um, the, the issue of marijuana has big has uh, come up, you know, now it's being talked about like it's never been talked about um, really all over the world. But I think especially in the Orthodox community, it's, it's become, I mean, even at the Agoda convention last year, they had a segment on brownie something in kiddish clubs, Right. So um, I, I, I guess I'm just opening this for a, a broad conversation, but um, they, the, the common excuse um, for the advocates of marijuana is that it's not addicting. Do you find that to be true? Um, is it not addicting? Is there any benefits? Any downside? Can you walk us through that?
1: So I'm I'm not an expert in any way, shape, or form, but I will tell you my own personal experience being here at Relief. Um, you know, so maybe you could make an argument that really good, clean marijuana is okay, and maybe that's not so bad. Um, of course, there are other people who tell you that's a gateway drug, and why go there? But the reality is that, um, and I've seen. I'm dealing with two cases right now of um people who took you know who took drugs that were that were laced or were spiked I don't know what what exactly the term is even um and it created it caused serious significant lasting damage I'm talking about serious damage mm-hmm. um where where both of these guys more than a year out and they're they're not back to themselves right so you know it's it's not simple you know the the old thing this this is not your father's you know marijuana right there's not marijuana from the 60s um there's there's some really bad stuff going on out there and and you know when you're getting into this stuff you know you're you're opening yourselves up to to many 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 risks um certainly somebody who has some level of of mental health issue um again by adding these kind of mind-altering substances you're looking for trouble
0: Mm mm-hmm so do you, in other words, do you buy into the argument that it is a gateway drug. My I understanding you correctly?
1: Again, I'm not an expert. I can't tell you yes or no, but I would stay away from it and I would encourage others to stay away from it. I think it's a, it's a bad, bad way to go.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'll just put in my own two cents for a second. Um, you know, there are easier ways or healthier ways to make yourself feel good. Even in the short term, you know, diet, sleep, and exercise are relatively easy or supposedly easy. Uh, ways to feel better so it's kind of like you know this has uh, been good for a very long time um, why do we need to try something new um, I I mean, won- if
1: you, if I, I'll just jump in for a second with another thing you know, drinking also is becoming a very very big issue uh-huh. right? um, you know again I joke around that I grew up my entire childhood with one bottle of J&B in the house okay uh-huh. um, and today especially among it's it's becoming a very very big issue um, and, you know, they they laugh it off. It's not a big deal. It's nothing. Don't worry, you know. But at the end of the day, we're seeing that, okay, for some people, they'll grow out of it and they'll, they'll be controlled and they'll, they'll, they'll do it, let's say, more responsibly, but others will really get hooked. Mm-hmm. Is it worth it?
0: Right. I, I, you know, that's actually a question that I've gotten a few times. Uh, what's the difference between marijuana and alcohol? You, you know, people have always been drinking for years and, you know, you you don't hear the same pushback when it comes to marijuana. What would your response to that be?
1: So, again, I think I think one of the big differences, like I said before, with the marijuana that you don't you don't know, you know, what's what's being, what's in it. So therefore, it's not so safe. But I would say I would say stay away from both. Obviously, you know, marijuana is different because uh, I'm not saying I don't think you should do marijuana in moderation either. Um, Whereas drinking in moderation, you know, is is a different story. Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, but I think that this notion of, um, you know, drinking heavily and and getting drunk uh, on, you know, and and people who do this get drunk a lot. um, That's not good. There's nothing good about that.
0: Right, right. So they both have their downsides. I I would just, um, I'm curious to differentiate and obviously I'm no expert, less of an expert than yourself, but Um, I'm curious if there's a statistic out there for people that have real drug addictions, if any of them have gotten to where they are without marijuana. In other words, did they all go through the, or the vast majority of them go through the marijuana uh, Avenue. I
1: really don't know. That's something that I really don't know about. Um, You'd have to ask somebody that's much more, much more expert than I.
0: Okay. So let's uh, go. From one topic to another topic um, within one topic. Um, you are a rabbi. Um, are you a practicing rabbi? No,
1: nope, no, nope. I have smicha from when I was, you know, when I first got married. But uh, no, not a practicing rabbi.
0: So, who are the, some of the rabbis that you consult, relief and general Consulting? Can you tell us a little bit about the guidance that they have provided for you?
1: So, um Baruch Hashem, we have a, a tremendous privilege of um, having access to some of the, you know, really the gedolim and, and wonderful rabbanim. Or yeshiva, um, not just in America, but really around the world, um, we've, our, our constant go-to, you know, for, for many of the questions that come up is Rebelli Brudni, as he is for so many people. Um, when the Meshgir, Mateso uh, salomon was healthy, um, he was also somebody who was very, very involved in relief and somebody that, that um, I had the privilege of speaking to many, many times with many questions that came up. Um, but Baruch Hashan, like I said, we have, we have, um relationship with, with a wide range of rabbanim, of Rosh Shiva, of, of, of Rebbes. Um because relief is an organization that really everybody calls from from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. So uh we've we've had that opportunity to to speak to so many people. Um but let's say for example when we first started um one of the questions that we had was if you have two clinicians, one is a from person, and one person is either not from or a goi, you know, but the guy uh, is a better clinician, you know, who do you go to? So we asked this question when we, were, when we first started in Israel, we asked this to Rabel Yoshev, we asked this to Chaim Fechel and, and many other doylem. Um and really everybody told us the same answer. As long as they're not anti-from, which in Yetz Israel is more of an issue than in America, then you go to the better doctor. Right. Mm-hmm. You go to the better actor. Um, and again, we've had so many so many opportunities to speak to, to people. Although interestingly enough, when you think about it, um, shyless that come up are rarely shyless for relief. They're mostly going to be shyler for the person who's calling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in those situations, it's really their dashtoeira that they need to consult with. Because again, somebody who's calling from Monroe, right, for example, may not even know who Ravelli Brittany is. Right? So mm-hmm. to say that, you know, this is the psack that we got from they that doesn't mean anything to them. So what we do is we we tell them, okay, this is this is the Shiloh, this is the Shiloh you need to ask. you you do this or this? And then go ask your Dastera. Um but again, th- through the years we've had uh, we've had a very, very wide range of, of people. Um, in fact when people ask people ask um, us, you know, which rabbanim are behind relief, I can proudly say which rabbanim do you like?
0: <laughs> Very good. I like that. Yeah, that's great. I mean Ushmart I'm sure mental health goes into Ushmart and just saying That's
1: for
0: sure. Um and for someone who's not calling relief, let's say relief doesn't service their area. Um what are some of the uh tips or tactics that you would suggest for them to find a clinician and therapist that is competent in general and also good in their area?
1: So because it's so difficult to find um, we don't really recommend that at all. In fact, in fact, um, one of the long-term goals of, of Relief, and, and hopefully not as long-term as, as uh, you know, not so long-term, um, is to create something called Relief Global, which will, so like I mentioned at the beginning, we have 11 offices around the country, around the world. We have um office in New York, in Lakewood, in Monroe, in Baltimore, Los Angeles, Florida, Toronto, Montreal, London, and Israel, and now we opened up for the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but we're getting constant calls from Atlanta, from Dallas, from Houston, from Denver, from Phoenix. Um, and those cities are not big enough to, you know, have their own office. Um, but but these are people who are calling and they need help. So our plan is to create a, pro- a process where, we'll, where we will be able to help. Even people who are calling from areas where we don't have, where we don't have an office. And that's, done in a couple ways. Number one, um, we have a tremendous network of clinicians, okay? Um, And so, for example, I got a call uh, a couple weeks ago from a woman in in Texas, okay? That wasn't Houston, it wasn't Dallas, it was a different city in Texas, um, and she needed a reproductive psychiatrist. She had postpartum depression, and she needed something called a reproductive psychiatrist, which is a subspecialty of psychiatry. Of course, I don't have an office in that little town in Texas. Um, However, the reproductive psychiatrists are like a big club. Okay, they all know each other. So I called the reproductive psychiatrist that I have at UCLA and I called another one that I have in Chicago and I say, Who do we use in this city? They said, Oh, here you that city you use so and so. Okay, that's you know, and tell them we told you to call. All right. So we have a tremendous network that we're able to to tap into. That's that's number one. Number two, um, if the person needs somebody local, um, we've developed ways over the years of being re- being able to to do searches you know, and, and figure out who is the best person. Obviously, we don't know the people personally. We won't be able to tell you what their personality is like, but we can figure out what their clinicals, you know, ability is and, and where their standing is in the world of, of clinicians. Um, and then the biggest change, which has really made a tremendous difference in, in, in going forward, is the acceptance of Zoom right. as, as, as a means of, of therapy. So now the world's your oyster. Okay, so there are licensing issues, we have to get, we have to get through all that, but, um, but we've done a lot, a lot of work in that area. So, so as an example, I had, um, I had somebody who, who needed a psychiatrist in Colorado. Okay, um, and again, we don't have an office in Colorado, but I looked through my database and one of my psychiatrists in Florida is licensed in Colorado. And for this person, Zoom was a little and it worked great. Mm-hmm. So we can we can make that happen. Um, if somebody is in a small town and they want a from therapist, and there are some from therapists in the small town that they're living in, but they know all of them, they dive in the same shul with them, they're not going to go to them for therapy. Zoom becomes an option, right? So they mm-hmm. can go to a from therapist in wherever. Okay. Um, so th- so the world has changed tremendously, and, um, and we're changing along with it. Um, and we're really hoping that that within you know, probably it'll take about a year or two that we'll be able to really offer the service um, in a very, very robust way for people in, in you know, far-flung cities around the country.
0: I was actually gonna bring up um COVID and I know some people are sick of COVID. So if you are, if you're listening, I, I'm, I'm not offended if you wanna turn it off. There have been times where I've also not wanted to hear anything about COVID, but that was a game changer. And I think Zoom was one of the biggest um things that will never change from COVID. Um, Have you found that people are able to get the same quality of help on a virtual call than, uh, you know, as opposed to an in-person meeting?
1: So there's no question that in-person is better. And we very often, we will encourage if it's possible to do a combination. Meaning if you can meet them in person once or twice and then continue on Zoom, it makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. If if you've had that face-to-face, then Zoom works very, very well. Um, not so well for children, children, you know, it's, it's especially small children, you know, zoom is not going to be a great, a great, um, a great option, but for, but for, you know, teens and adults, um, it works. And again, like I said, if, if you see them in person first, then it works very, very well. Um, and so, you know, again, whenever it's possible, we try, we try to have people do that, but it, it does, it does work. I mean, there's, there's going to be, there's, there are studies to, to show, you know, and it's, it's showing that it's work again, I think in person is better. And if you can do in person, that's you know that's more lachatila. But um, but it's not a bad option for like I said, if you're in a a situation where you don't have somebody that you that you need within you know driving distance, this this is a good good option.
0: So like if I were to pose the question to you, um, what's better, in person or the assured you know being assured that you're seeing the right type of person, but not in person? You would say take the Zoom person over.
1: Yeah, yeah, because again. The right clinician will will make a very very big difference, and hopefully that'll come across over Zoom as well. Um, you know, because if if you're just going to somebody who's available, but they're really not trained properly, they don't have the the background, they don't have the experience, it's not gonna work.
0: Wow, so this is uh up and coming with Relief Global, is that what it's gonna be called?
1: So I don't know if we're gonna call it that. Maybe we'll come up with a co- cooler name than that, but uh, for now that's what we're calling it. You know, just uh,
0: global. Yeah, but, uh,
1: Maybe. Yeah, we're we're hoping we're hoping uh you know we're really hoping to to move this forward we uh we started doing a lot of work in this area and again it's, it's a big job um but uh but we're really hoping to to make it make this difference and the idea behind this really is very simple like i said before we just put a system into the place where there was no system and it works mm-hmm. and because it works we want to be able to give it to as many people as possible to be able to use
0: that's wonderful that's one of the amazing um aspects of technology and zoom etc uh, i would be remiss if i did not bring this up because it's one of my highlights uh the couch right you know where i'm going so is that you <laughs> are you the? Hey, the one? Uh, yeah ted
1: oh that yeah yeah so that so that's no it's not me it's not my writing um it's actually um a former employee of, of relief It's the person who used to run our office in baltimore today he's a principal in, in ASRL. Um, but he is a very, very bright person, really very smart guy and a wonderful writer. The anonymous is... uh, is, Yeah, I can say his name. His name is Israel Hauptman. And, you know, we asked him... He was writing for this for us when he was running the office in Baltimore and we asked him, you know, when he took this other position if he would continue to do this because he really does a beautiful job. He does a great job with this. And that's, uh, you know, his job is actually quite difficult because he's not supposed to answer the question, right? That we leave to the the Mm -hmm. professionals. He's supposed to write about the question Right. Um, which I think is quite challenging.
0: Yeah, it's actually I I love it. I learn so much from it because it gives you like it, you take a couple steps backwards and you get to look you know get to look down on the issue from a like you know from a very a very high place and um you get a perspective um not being sucked into it um so I very much enjoy this. You don't have anything to do with it.
1: No, the only thing I can the only thing I have to do with it is that I get to read it first.
0: Uh-huh. I get to uh-huh. read
1: it and approve it first. But there's very. I want you to know it's very rare that I have any comments. He's he's really terrific.
0: So can people read those articles online or do you have to buy the TED?
1: So actually, I think we collected them and put it on our website, if I'm not mistaken. But if if, it, if we didn't yet, it's in the plan.
0: Um, I, would, I would tell uh, all of our listeners that you should check out, what is it, relief.org? Relief, it's Rel-
1: it's reliefhelp.org.
0: Reliefhelp.org. And um, check out if those articles have made it. Um, they are fascinating. They're so well written. And, uh, it's nice to hear that I, that I've met the person who wrote them. I, that I did not know. Wow. Rabbi Babad, you've been so, uh, generous with your time. And, uh, we very much appreciate you coming on Kolot. Um, there's a special bracha we give to people who are, people who help the, uh, the general public with, uh, you know, certain, um, that they believe in helping people and doing it for the right reasons. Um, so we're very grateful that you shared some of your experience and expertise with us. And we wish you much, uh, much more success in helping people and helping people get relief.
1: Thank you very much, and again, thank you very much for having me. And uh, and I, you know, I encourage anybody that's that's out there that's listening to this. Um, if you if you have an issue that you haven't dealt with yet, you know, think about think about uh, reaching out and getting help.
0: Relief resources, relief help, relief help, dot org. Yes, relief help dot org. Okay, thank you so much.
1: Hey, right. terrific! Thank you.
0: To listen to all Kolot episodes and see upcoming guests, visit kolopodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Kolot on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and Amazon. Share with your friends and please make sure to give us a five-star review. Kolot is a project of the Columbus Community Kollel, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and Mitzvos at the Kolel. Whether it's a study partner, an engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That dot T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L.org and forever be inspired.